This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Age of Radio. listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone, everywhere. Welcome to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. And in this episode, we're going to continue our Crossroads Project, a look at the California Trail and the Chisholm Trail and the effect they had on the settlement of Northwest Texas, specifically the area of Head of Elm, which became the town of St. Joe. So let's get right into the California Trail and early settlement of Head of Elm. The 12 years after the end of the Mexican War were a time of exploration and surveying trails across this unsettled area by Texans and the United States Army. There existed a desire for a practical wagon road between the settled areas and El Paso. Robert S. Neighbors and John S. Rip Ford made an attempt in March 1849, traveling from San Antonio to El Paso and back. Captain Randolph B. Marcy's expedition in the spring of 1849 marked a trail known in northern Texas as the California Trail or the El Paso Road. His route, with some variations, was the basis for a railroad proposal in the 1850s. And the Sutherland Overland Mail Service used part of it beginning in 1858. The early trails marked and used in the early years of settlement often follow the trails used by Native Americans. As historian John Russell noted in the 1930s, many trails traversing the Southwest originated by the Indians at an early date. Being familiar with the land, they would naturally pick the easiest way through. Later, when the white man appeared, he simply made use of the existing trails, end quote. Captain Randolph B. Marcy's California Trail and later the Chisholm Trail, where it passed through Indian Territory, seemed to follow this observation. The fact that local history claims that the Singletaries had been in search of gold when they briefly settled at the head of Elm Fork in 1849 is significant, because it captures part of the fever that had spread across the North American continent at that time. The discovery of gold 
east of Stockton, California at Sutter's Mill in 1848 was a seminal event in the development of the United States. Throngs of Americans from all over the country were rushing westward to the newly acquired territory to seek their fortunes. They traveled through vast expanses of unsettled land, and they did so along a variety of routes. Some traveled up the North Platte through South Pass and across Utah to the land of gold. Another trail ran westward from Independence, Missouri to Santa Fe and then west across the southern rim of the United States. Other fortune seekers arrived at Texas ports on the Gulf of Mexico like Indianola and Galveston and went westward by way of San Antonio and El Paso. Then there is the route of the California Trail known in North Texas during the 19th century as the El Paso Road or the Marcy Trail. Like the previously mentioned route, this trail was a tributary or a feeder route for the southern road to California. Captain Randolph B. Marcy and the detachment of soldiers in his command served as a protective escort from Fort Smith to Santa Fe for some 500 immigrants making their way to California in 1849. For the westward journey, Marcy followed a more northerly route through Indian Territory, but once he had completed his escort duty, Marcy set his mind towards creating a new road from southern New Mexico to northeastern Texas and then on to Fort Smith, Arkansas. Aided initially by a Comanche named Manuel that lived at the town of San Miguel on the Pecos River and then later by a Delaware guide named Black Beaver, Marcy established the trail that would become known in North Texas as the California Road or the El Paso Trail. Black Beaver guided Marcy from the Colorado River to the settlements of North Texas and according to trail historian J.W. Williams, Black Beaver, quote, apparently followed the route of hunting parties of some semi-civilized Indians from that stream to the upper cross timbers. The trail crossed the Clay Monte County line about two and a half miles south of the Wichita Falls Fort Worth Highway, then again crossed the same road about five and three quarter miles northwest of Bowie then continued northward on the north side of Bushy Mound. The path intersected the Bowie-Ringgold Highway about five and one-half miles northwest of Bowie, a little more than a mile northwest of Queens or Victoria's Peak. Nine miles southwest of modern-day Nocona, Marcy's Road crossed the east fork of Belknack Creek, then near Barrel Springs before it came within three miles south of present-day Nocona. Here, three miles south and three-quarter miles west of Nocona's business section, the trail turned southeast for about eight miles through the upper cross timbers, within less than a mile northeast of the town of Montague, The trail turned east and followed the high prairie ridge to the site of St. Joe, following close to the route that the St. Joe Montague Road or Farm to Market 59 now follows. Marcy camped at the head of Elm Creek. The trail crossed Elm Creek six or 700 yards south of the business district. From St. Joe, the road ran about four and a half miles northeast of Munster, Texas, and then about three miles north of Gainesville. J.W. Williams notes that a branch route 
of the original road soon broke away about six miles northeast of Gainesville and passed along modern Gainesville's California Street. This branch rejoined the main trail before reaching the head of Elm near modern St. Joe. Next, Marcy's Trail passed near Whitesboro at Basin Springs, then ran northeast to the high ground, about seven or eight miles northwest of modern Denison, where it turned north and crossed Little Mineral Creek about a mile northeast of its mouth. Then it turned east to the town of Preston on the bank of the Red River, and from there it traveled on to Fort Smith. Marcy had created a shorter way to California than the Santa Fe Road. The Peters Colony map of 1854 and J.H. Colton's 1855 new map of the state of Texas show the route of Marcy's Road of 1849 across the present-day counties of Clay, Archer, Young, and parts of Montague and Throckmorton, and a perusal and a comparison of the maps of Marcy's Trail with those of later Texas maps makes it clear that the route became one of the main thoroughfares in the region and has even followed some today. Locally, it was often known, as I've said, as the El Paso Road or California Road, and Head of Elm, Barrel Springs, and Victoria or Queens Peak became important campsites on the route. Marcy promoted this route in his 1859 manual for westward travelers, and in his itinerary for the route, he commented on the area around Head of Elm that the route went through. He wrote, Excellent camps, road passes over a beautiful country, rapidly settling up with farmers who cultivate and sell grain at low prices. The need for commodities to feed people and animals illustrates how the presence of the California road could have been economically significant for the settlers in the area. They had a market passing right by them to sell their goods rather than having to ship them off. Inspection of land grant patents Survey field notes and deeds clearly locate the California Trail at the natural rest area for travelers that became the head of Elm Settlement and later the town of St. Joe. It appears that the trail entered the modern city limits of St. Joe at the southeast end of Line Street, ran near the location of the St. Joe High School, and on in a westerly direction to cross Elm Fork north of Buck Branch and then on in the direction of Montague. The California Marcy El Paso Road is also referenced in a title abstract for some lots located in the original town site of St. Joe, Texas. Hanson G. Catlett of Texas and Robert Toombs of Wilkes County, Georgia, contracted to purchase a large amount of Texas land script on February 8, 1850. They then extended their contract on February 28, 1851. Catlett did the legwork for the endeavor, for which he was to receive a third of the property. His efforts included locating about 100,000 acres and having it surveyed. To his misfortune, Catlett died before the job was finished, leaving the terms of his contract only partially fulfilled. Toombs and George W. Crawford of Columbia County, Georgia, financed the venture and were to receive two-thirds of the land. Hanson Catlett's son, H.B. Catlett of Shannon County, Missouri, inherited his father's share. Toombs, William P. Crawford, and Samuel P. Mays paid H.B. Catlett $7,500 
to release his part of the land holdings to them in March 1870. Included in the collective holdings were the 640 acres granted to Alexander Kitchen by the Board of Land Commissioners of Jackson County on November 25, 1845. The survey was performed on January 27, 1857 by Richard Beale, Deputy Surveyor for Cook County of the Fannin Land District. The field notes for the survey of Alexander Kitchen's 640 acres states that the El Paso Road crosses the Elm Fork of the Trinity River near its extreme head about 18 and a half north, 82 and a half west from Gainesville. And notes a spring branch in the southwest corner. The field notes of the survey then proceed to provide greater detail as to where the road entered and exited the tract of land and where it crossed the Elm Fork itself. Inspection of which seems to point that the previous paragraph suggestions as to where the route is in relation to modern St. Joe is very close, if not exact. It is half of this property, the southeast to 320 acres of the kitchen survey and the half that the California road crossed through that Irby H. Boggess and Joe A. Howell purchased from Toombs, Crawford, and Mays on May 15, 1872. But that event is still years ahead of the time currently being inspected. During the next five years, after Marcy carved out the California Trail, several Army expeditions passed through the area. Marcy passed through again during his Red River Expedition of 1852, Captain John Pope led an expedition through the area in 1854, searching for a route for a Pacific Railroad. Camping near the head of Elm Fork, Pope recorded his fascination with the country and its landscape. Colonel Albert Sidney Johnson, later to be famous for fighting for the Confederacy, was at this time leading the United States 2nd Cavalry westward from Missouri to establish western forts and wrote of the head of Elm area. To the south of Montague County, the settlement of Wise County began with the arrival of Sam Woody, who constructed a log cabin north of Deep Creek in 1854. At the time, the area was like Montague County, also within Cook County. Many settlers followed Woody into the area. The Deep Creek community that developed was south of present-day Decatur. Settlers came in steady stream after that autumn, but stopped in 1858 or 1859 as Cliff Cates wrote, quote, on account of a sanguinary occurrence of far-reaching importance which happened within the wilds of what is now Jack County, when outlaw Indians massacred the Mason and Cameron families on Lost Creek. This murder dampened the impulse of immigration, and not until many years passed were normal conditions of safety conducive to the influx of of civilization restored, end quote. Woody later shared his own recollections of this time, and his reflections might be useful in illuminating the conditions faced by Montague County settlers just to the north and elsewhere in the surrounding area. He said, The prettiest sight I ever saw is a new country where man has never been and which is just as the great God of heaven left it, where every stream is full of fish and every hollow tree is gorged with honey, 
The wildlife and nature at first hand suited me. It was easy to live in those days. So five or six acres of wheat, and it would often produce 50 bushels to the acre. Cut it with a cradle, tramp and fan it out, then once or twice a year, load up a wagon to which five or six steers were hitched, and after a week's trip to Dallas, you would have enough flour to give bread to your own family and some to the neighbors for a number of weeks until it would be the turn of someone else to make the trip. If we had bread enough, game was always plentiful. Hogs would get so fat on acorns they couldn't walk. After marking them, we'd let them run wild and trained our dogs to run them in whenever we wanted a supply of pork. Now and then, we sent a wagon to Shreveport or Houston for coffee and sugar and such groceries, but we did not use sugar much. I paid a dollar for a pint of the first sorghum seed planted in Wise County, and molasses was the commonest kind of sweetening. When we got tired of game and pork, we killed a beef. By swinging a quarter hind up to the limb of a tree, it would be safe from wild animals and would keep sweet for weeks. And it was a common sight in our country to see the woman of the house untying the rope and letting down the meat to cut off enough for dinner. I reckon I didn't know the disposition of the Indians. I was never afraid of them. Didn't have enough sense enough. I guess. I used to trade with them at my house until they got hostile. And for a little corn, they would give me the finest buffalo robe or moccasins you ever saw. I only wish I had kept some of those things. They would be worth lots of money now. End quote. To the north of where Woody was living, in present Montague County, settlement of the county increased during these years. When Henry Brayton settled on Denton Creek in 1854, where he built the county's first house, John Keenan also arrived the same year, and John Miller moved to the area that later became Montague in either 1854 or 1855. During 1855 or 1856, William Freeman and David Vance settled in what became the New Harp community. Others to arrive about the same time included W.H. Taylor and W.H. Savage, who settled on Denton Creek while Dr. H.N. O. Polly and Saville Wilson settled on the Willowalla. By 1855, the first settlers also began arriving in Jack County. Perhaps one of the most daring of the settlers in the period, Mabel Gilbert, made the first known attempt to settle the territory that became Wichita County, where Wichita Falls is, in 1855. He built a house on a bluff above the Red River, 10 miles north of present-day Wichita Falls, Indian raiders drove him from his new home that year, and he was living in Montague County during the 1860s census, but he later did return to the Wichita Falls area. They again drove him away in 1862. Now, Mabel Gilbert also has an interesting tie to Dallas and its settlement, but we'll get to that at another time. Head of Elm Settlement began in earnest with the Singletaries returning in the fall of 1855. Prince and Ithane Singletary, if you remember from the last episode, and they established the head of Elm as a permanent settlement. The John Hughes family and the Womble family joined them that fall. 
in Montague County, E.S. Singletary, Dominic Burns, the Wombles, and a handful of other families settled along the Elm Forks headwaters in 1855. These were not the only settlers to arrive in these years. They are simply some of the names that have been saved. In early 1858, Isaac Burnett, John Morris, St. Clair Jones, Alfonso Templeton, Austin Morris, Joshua Baines, John Wainscott, Cash McDonald, Gerald McDonald, John Willingham, W.R. Willingham, Fred Hamilton, David S. Hagler, and D.G. Parkhill joined those who had already established homes in the area. In the deed for Dominic Burns, W. Womble and John Scanlon's joint purchase of 320 acres in 1859, there is a reference to the Preston and Belknap Road, or the California Trail, as it was also known. The renewed settlement of Head of Elm in the Montague County area owed much to the United States Army's establishment of a line of forts along the Comanche frontier in the late 1840s and early 1850s to protect settlers. Fort Worth had hardly been settled for any time at all before the line of settlement had pushed on westward, requiring a new line of forts. In 1851, the United States Army established Fort Belknap on the Red Fork of the Brazos River in Young County. The military also established Fort Phantom Hill between the Brazos and the Colorado and Fort Mason on a branch of the Colorado in 1851. These were followed by the start of a handful of forts in southwestern Texas, stretching out to Fort Bliss in El Paso. Supplies to Fort Belknap followed Marcy's California Trail, and Head of Elm became a stopping point along the way. A supplier at Preston, Texas, which was to the east, contracted to supply corn, and his wagon trains followed the route. Colonel James B. Leach camped at Head of Elm in August 1857 and recorded his impressions of the area in his journal, detailing the trip as he escorted a corn train along the route set by Marcy in 1849. He wrote that Camp Number 40 was at a, quote, point on the Elm Fork of the Trinity River, quote, ends, where there was, quote, an abundance of water and fine grazing for the stock, a splendid spring sending up cool streams of limpid water and beautiful profusion. And the near neighbor of Head of Elm was the last settlement between Gainesville and Fort Belknap. End quotes. It was a fertile area for fine grazing. Leach also commented on some of the inhabitants of the area. Here, a squatter within a few yards of the side of our camp has erected his house of logs and herds his few head of cattle, horses, and hogs. He is a true type of what restless class who are always wanting to farm further west, to whom this country is indebted for the subjection and the opening up to the civilization of her frontier wilderness. About one mile from camp number 40 is an extensive ranch kept up by hired men where are herded large numbers of cattle. This immediate section affords unexcelled advantages to the herder and the grazer. End quote. Leach went on to extol the abundant game the area offered up to interested hunters with the natural advantages presented in Colonel Leach's high praise for Head of Elm and an established route for travel that the California Trail offered, it is little wonder that the area began to attract more and more settlers despite the threat of confrontation 
with Native Americans. A few months after Leach's visit, John Cox moved ahead of Elm in 1858 with his family, relocating from Collin County. His son, G.W. Cox, left a record of these early years and a collection entitled Pioneer Sketches. Only two or three families lived near Head of Elm at that time, he said, and Cox related, quote, There was not much in this county at the time but varmints, cattle, a few buffalo, and Indians, mostly Kiowas and Comanches, end quote. Settlement progressed nicely, if slowly, during these years. Agriculture dominated the Texas economy, and from 1850 to 1860, the number of farms in the state grew from 12,198 to 42,891. This agricultural growth is also illustrated in the amount of land farmers improved, an explosion from 643,976 acres in 1850 to 2.65 million acres by 1860. As in the rest of the South, cotton was king in the state, especially in the East Texas region from the Sabine to the Brazos, and Texas farmers produced 431,463 bales in 1860. Beyond the stronghold of cotton, farmers grew a diversity of crops, though, especially wheat and oats in North Texas, and ranching drove into the cost timbers and the heart of Texas. In the 1840s and 1850s, the upper southern cattle raising tradition described by Terry Jordan in his book Trails to Texas underwent a significant advance into the cross timbers region of which Monte County was a part. Despite the slowing effect of the Indian depredations of the 1860s on the expansion of settlement and ranching, the range cattle industry had survived intact and had gradually spread westward by 1870. Cattle raising would be a dominant economic pursuit in Monte County from the time of settlement onward to and beyond the years that the Chisholm Trail would cut through it to the Red River. The Texas legislature created Monte County on December 26, 1857, carving it out of Cook County. It was not organized as a county with a government until the election of August 2nd, 1858. Head of Elm and Hagler Store, a location south of St. Joe, served as the only polling places and few were needed since only 63 votes were cast. I should add, though, Hagler Store is the site of present-day Forestburg. The voters selected an unsettled site near the center of the county to be the county seat, which became the town of Montague. I will note, if you see the spelling, most people and a lot of weather people usually make this mistake. They say Montague, as you've seen it said and written many times before. But in Texas, we do things a certain way, and it is correctly called Montague, and it's named after a early surveyor of the area named Daniel Montague. Now, by early 1858, cattlemen had even moved into the attractive grassland of the southwestern corner of the county, settling near another of the camping spots along the California Trail known as Queen's Peak. The fear of Native American attack kept the settlers from spreading out, and they generally stayed close together, or what was called 
reported up. Three of the earliest settled areas in the county, Head of Elm, Montague, and Queens Peak, were all along the California Trail. The frontier line of 1860, which had been steadily moving westward, could be said to run south from Henrietta to the west of Monte County, through Brownwood, Kerrville, and Uvalde to Brackettville. The events of that year ensured that it would advance no further, and in fact, that line of settlement would retreat. Here we go. I think that's another fine spot to take a break. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think this is a good spot to end the episode. We covered pretty much the settlement from the 1850s of this area of Northwest Texas. I'm centering and focusing on side of head of Elm, St. Joe, and Monte County. But all of this applies to that general area of Northwest Texas, what was then Northwest Texas. Now today, when you say Northwest Texas, you're probably thinking of area from Wichita Falls up into the Panhandle. But back then, in the 19th century, northwest Texas was this area at the headwater region for the Trinity and and other areas like the Brazos. That was northwest Texas. Covered all that in the next episode, which will be released very soon. We're going to take a look at the Civil War years and the effect it had on settlement in this area and throughout the state. And... We'll cover that and maybe even a little bit more. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody that helps the show through clicking on that link and buying a cup of coffee. Or actually, when you get to the site after clicking on the link, it's it says, buy me some books. I do use that money to buy books and uh, do research. And, and thanks to everybody that supports the show through a commitment through Patreon. You are appreciated. I hope to come up with some special uh, rewards for people that help out on Patreon soon. Once maybe this winter, things will slow down for me and I'll have time to do some special things like that. I've got a lot of things. I currently did a count the other day. I've got 20 different projects I'm working on at the same time, including lessons, episodes, plus some other special surprises I'm doing. And uh, so, yeah, I'm busy, uh, but my focus is on trying to get the lessons episodes back out. I want to thank Derek McClendon, amazing artist. Please go check out his music. If you get a chance to see him live, uh, it's, it's one of my 
goal in the next year is to go visit where he's playing and see him play, I'm sure I won't be let down. He's, he's a very talented musician. And with that, we're going to end the episode and we're going to go and play one of Derek McClendon's songs. And I can think of no better song since we're talking about the origin of a small town in Texas. Let's, uh, let's play Derek McClendon's Ballad of a Small Town. And we're going to follow that up with an added song by Mondo Salas and his band Rosemond. One of my very favorite songs. And this song is Devil's River. So thanks to everybody that's listening. Share the show. I never mentioned this. I do have a Facebook group. I try to share links to it. I encourage people to have like talks about history-related subjects like I see other people doing in other groups. We don't get much of that, but feel free to share history-related stuff there. That interesting articles and stuff, I try to post stuff to that. I'm on Twitter, and uh, there you usually just see me saying silly things and talking about all the music I'm listening to or different podcasts that I love. And I do try to share some relevant in- history information there when I have time also. And you can, there is a website, texashistorylessons.com, as well as uh, you can email the show, texashistorylessons at gmail.com. I try to get back to everybody, and I, you know, special requests, I've got several listed that I'm working on. People have requested certain episodes. I am going to get to them someday. Um, That's part of the 19 projects or 20 projects I've got going on. It, It gets to be a kind of overwhelming at times considering that I do work a full-time job and I'm doing this but I do this for love and my family's gracious enough to support me in doing this so so there that's that um, you can contact me there and supposedly and one person tried it it didn't work very well if you go to the website texashistorylessons.com um, you're supposed to be able to click on a button there and leave a voice message and if that ever works out for whoever does it next i might include that in the end of the episode um if you've got something you want to add or comment on and share feel free to do that you can write um people say that writing reviews helps shows i don't know if that's true or not but i have been uh, very blessed that a lot of people have left some very positive reviews so go share the show rate the show leave a review or not just listen that's what we're really doing this for i I love studying history and sharing what i learned so yeah um let's end the show out then this is gonna be Derek mcclendon's ballad of a small town followed right up by the great poet songwriter and musician mondo salas and rosemond devil's river Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Be kind. Adios. Guess who's shacking up together? Guess who's having an affair? Guess who's sobered up again? Guess who's standing over there? Well, I heard they're having problems. And I heard she's a little touched. Yeah, you know I heard that too. I heard that business is closing up Oh, don't look mad
small town Never guess who got arrested Guess who I just ran into Guess who lost their job last week Guess who got a new tattoo Well I heard they're doing this And I heard they're doing that Yeah I heard they came from there Yeah I heard that's where they're at Guess who's seeing one another Guess who's splitting up I guess he got his mess together I guess she finally had enough Well I heard he's back from rehab And I heard she took him back I always heard he was on the sweet side I heard she was in the blacks Who's getting a divorce? I guess it's time we better pray.
yesterday Don't come after me now I'll be long gone And tell my papa that I tried my best to keep his spirit alive Giving all of my strength Keep the thieves out of my family's mind No, I tried my best now Never was good enough And if I don't make it into heaven Don't you even cry You know me, I ain't afraid of the devil So 
Shook her out, you're here. 